0: I invite you to turn with me this morning to Paul's epistle to the Romans. In Romans, we'll be reading in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we pray that you would bless your holy word as we read it. We pray that you would open our ears to what you would have to say to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond accordingly. As your Apostle said, we pray that you would help us to give our reasonable response to you. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Last week, I said that Jesus wants your stuff. The question that is begged in that statement is why? Why does Jesus want our stuff? Well, because if He gets our stuff, then He gets us. And that's his deepest desire. His deepest desire is to have you, who you are, all of you. And of course, our stuff, which last week I mentioned involves our time, our talent, and our treasure, our stuff is so much a part of who we are that Jesus knows that if he isn't Lord over our stuff, then he isn't. Lord over us, no matter how much we insist that He is. The truth is that we must trust Him implicitly and explicitly. Because He wants us. He wants me. He wants you. He doesn't just want your stuff. He doesn't just want my stuff. He wants all of us. And that's the appeal that Paul is making to the Romans here in chapter 12. Chapter 12 serves as kind of a hinge from everything that Paul has said in these preceding 11 chapters toward what he will begin saying in these remaining chapters. And he tells them, I am begging you, because of something, to do something. And he treats treats them as family, just as... He would treat us as family. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, my family, I'm begging you. And notice the reason he is begging, the reason he is beseeching. He says, this is in light of God's great mercy toward us in Jesus that's what Paul's been talking about for 11 chapters, is the great mercy of God in Christ. How God has rescued us. How He's reached out from heaven and come to redeem us. How He's brought us back, though we are unworthy, though we are undeserving, though we are ungrateful many times. He has reached out to us through the arm of Jesus and pulled us back in toward Himself. And Paul says, in light of that great mercy to respond to Jesus sensibly, reasonably. The only logical response, and there's only one sensible response to such mercy, and it is total abandonment to Jesus. To be totally consumed in the flame of His love is the only response that makes sense to Paul. Paul. And notice that Paul uses language that makes it very clear that he's talking about not just our souls being caught up in the love of Christ, but the body as well. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. For Paul, for Paul, the only reasonable response to the love of Jesus, to the mercy of God seen in the person of Jesus, is a life that is totally surrendered in worship to God in Christ by the Spirit. A life completely surrendered, completely put under the Lordship of Jesus. He says this is the only way that you can know the will of God. It's in doing this that you prove the will of God, His good will, His acceptable will, His perfect will. What is the will of God? In a word, it is love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Teacher, what's the great commandment? The one that sums them all up. The biggest, the baddest, the worst to break. And Jesus says very simply, not murder, not adultery, not any of those things from the Ten Commandments. He directs their attention back to a different passage from the Old Testament law. You shall love the Lord your God with every bit of who you are, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. But he doesn't stop there because he says there's a second one that is in lockstep with that first one. You can't have one without the other. You can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you can't fully love your neighbor without loving God. The second is like unto it love your neighbor as your very own self. Elsewhere in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will connect loving our neighbor to also loving our enemies, praying for and blessing. Those who use us, those who mistreat us, those who wrong us. And he says that this is what it means to live in perfect love. This is what it means for a human to be perfect as God the Father is perfect. Not that we'll know all things, not that we can do all things, not that we can hang the sun, the moon, the stars, but that we can love even our enemies through the love of God. You might have noticed there's not a lot of love on Facebook. Not a lot of love on most social media platforms, especially not Twitter banks. There's not a lot of love out there. And I think one of the reasons is because love demands real relationships. Love, true love, Demands a face, a set of eyes we can look into, a mouth that we can hear. True love demands real relationships. The true love of God demands a real relationship with Jesus, and true love of our neighbor demands real relationships with others. I think that's one of the reasons why the agencies that help you support kids around the world, kids living in poverty, to go to school and to be fed in the evenings and things like that, I think that's one of the reasons why they they, they tend to have letter writing and updated photos and things like that, because real love demands... Some sort of a real relationship, and it's so easy to get connected to multitudes of people and not have real relationships with them and to to be extraordinarily unloving as people. None of us are past it, according to Jesus. Our relationships of love with others is paramount to our relationship of love with God. And so the question I want to ask this morning of each of us is, how is your relationship with Him? What's your relationship like? What is the quality and the quantity of your relationship with Jesus? And to get an idea, it helps to ask ourselves three simple probing questions, which I want to suggest to you this morning. The first is, quite simply, how much does Jesus have your heart? When Jesus refers to the heart, when the Scriptures refer to the heart, they're referring not just to the emotions, not just our feelings, but they're referring to our core the core of your being, the core of who I am, our center, the center of our lives, the center from which everything else comes. Remember Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And He also says, it's not what you put into your body that defiles you, it's what's already in you. It's what's down in your heart that defiles. And so how much does Jesus have your heart? because answering that question goes a long way toward toward answering the question of how is my relationship with him and if we we're to answer that question of how much does Jesus have my heart we've got to think about things like what is my will like not the end of life will or living will but what is my will does he have my will Has my will been surrendered to him and broken by him? Or am I still living a self willed life where I do what I want, when I want, all the time? Where I live for myself? In fact, I only live for him because it makes me happier. What about my plans and my priorities? Because your will and your plans and your priorities, they expose what's in the heart. We see our will. We see our plans. We see our priorities, most especially in our finances and in our schedules. Those things that we spend our money and our time doing. They give us a glimpse of our priorities. And Jesus wants... The core of our being. He wants our hearts. But that's not enough. Because we said that Jesus wants the totality of our beings, He wants the completeness of our lives. And our lives are more than just what's on the inside, it's more than just the heart. We have to ask ourselves also the question how much does Jesus have your head? That's an important question that not a lot of Christians think about. Because not a lot of Christians think. Because not a lot of Christians like to think. Thinking is hard, it's difficult, it challenges us. I mentioned a few weeks ago, that's one of the frustrations we have with poetry. You remember reading the sonnets back in 12th grade? Maybe you don't remember reading sonnets back in 12th grade. Well, I was a little bit, that was a little bit more recent in my life than some of you. And I'll tell you, back in 12th grade, I had just fallen in love with reading the year prior, and I entered into British literature in 12th grade, and I started reading the sonnets, and there were a couple of things. Number one, there was a lot of frustration because you've got, that, you've got that nagging frustration of just say what you're wanting to say. Why don't you just say it? You'd have to go home and answer questions. They're like, oh, it's just four simple questions. That's easy. And you'd get home and spend hours answering those four simple questions of what is the writer wanting you to feel? Why do you think the author of the poem says this? It will drive you nuts. But one of the reasons why poetry and things like poetry frustrates us is because we tend to not like using our heads. We want life to come easy. We want to grow in Jesus easy, easily. We want to love others easily. We don't want to have to think. We don't want to have to struggle and wrestle. Ideas frustrate us. Jesus insisted that the greatest command... In all of Scripture, the sum total of all that God desires for us is that we love Him with every bit of who we are, including, Jesus makes it a point to tell us, our minds. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The Apostle Paul tells us, don't think as the world thinks. That's what Paul calls the flesh elsewhere. The world thinks about only what looks good and what feels good. What is self-serving? What is self-interested? What is self-benefiting? What is self-aggrandizing? Paul says, don't think as the world thinks. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. Don't be pressed in by the world and shaped according to them, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The world seeks what, is, what looks good, what feels good, and what is self-serving, but Jesus offers us just the opposite. He offers us the cross. In fact, He asks us, you want to be My disciple? Then deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Me. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Because Jesus is the Lord of a cross. And that's the life he offers to us. His broken life on a cross, and our invitation to find our lives broken in the cross as well, so that they might be healed. Transformation, for Paul, comes through the renewal of the mind. A new life, living differently, not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but living a different life. It comes through the renewal Of our minds. Paul tells us elsewhere that the mind of Christ is ours in the Spirit. But how does this transformation and this renewal of the mind take place? It takes place by denying ourselves, which is something we don't like to do. Denying ourselves, sometimes perfectly acceptable in good things. It comes by dying to ourselves, something we certainly don't like. We live among people that scream to us all day long, whether it's through social media or whether it's on the television, through commercials, whether it's in whatever shows or movies we're watching, the books we read. We, we live in a world that and among people that are screaming to us that we are the sum total of reality. That we can define reality for ourselves. We can create reality for ourselves. We can create meaning for our own lives. That we get to determine what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. That life is all about us. That the world revolves around us. We think the medieval Pre-scientific folks were nuts for thinking that the earth was the center of the universe. But we live among people that think that that the human person is the center of the universe, that all of life revolves around us. We don't like to die to ourselves. But that's what it'll take for this transformation of life. A life that is lived completely for the Lord Jesus to take place. It'll take denying ourselves. It'll take dying to ourselves. It'll take daily taking up the cross. Going where He leads. And where He leads is to a place of self-surrender. Where He leads is to a life that is lived for the sake of others. And it'll take doing what's hard. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard. You've heard me say before that, and I got this from a professor in seminary, that love always demands a death. Love always requires and comes with death. A death to ourselves. To love someone else means that you have to deny yourself, that you have to surrender some part of who you are for the sake of that other. And those things that are worth sacrificing demand sacrifice. Those things that are worth living for demand that we die to ourselves for them. Not all of us are willing to do that, which is hard. There were plenty of disciples who wandered off from Jesus when He started saying hard things. There were plenty who had followed Him. Even the evening before His crucifixion, who abandoned ship, said, I'd rather have what I want. The Lord calls us to think as He thinks. To love Him with our minds just as much as we love Him with our souls. Just as much as we love Him with our hearts. And so how much does Jesus have your heart? And how much does He have your head? I told you that there were three questions that would help us to answer that question, what's the quality, the quantity of our relationship with Jesus? That third question is, how much does Jesus have your hands? Sometimes it's easy to love God in our hearts and it's easy maybe to love Him in our heads. Maybe we tend toward thinking and wrestling with ideas. We tend toward Thinking, trying to think as Jesus thinks and see others the way He sees them. But sometimes it's hard for that heart and that head to translate into the hands of our lives. But the hands are what we do. It is our action, the love in action. The hands is, are about obedience. Obedient love in action toward Him in worship and toward others in service. It was one of the church fathers, St. Ignatius of Antioch, who said, we are not asked merely to call ourselves Christians. We are asked to be Christians through our deeds. The question then that is asked of each of us is, how Christian are we? It's hard to see, perhaps impossible to see what's in a person's heart or what's in a person's head. But it's easy to see what's in a person's hands and how much a person loves Jesus with his hands. The fact is that He's blessed us beyond what we deserve and beyond what we even realize. We don't even see all of His blessings in our lives. And do we trust Him, not only in our hearts and not only in our heads, but also with our hands? Are we obediently loving Him? Are we obediently serving others in love? We're invited to the table of his mercy. Paul called us to respond to him in light of his mercy. And the communion meal is the greatest reminder of the great mercy that God has shown us in his son Jesus. We're invited to the table of his mercy. Let us come humbly as we approach it. Let us come surrendered to His Lordship. Let us come ready to love Him with all of who we are. With our hearts, with our heads, and with our hands. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, as we quiet ourselves before you, and as we prepare to come to this holy table, we pray that you would challenge us, that you would do what is needed in us, that You would draw us by Your Spirit to love You more completely, to serve You more faithfully, to obey You more willingly. Lord, we declare that Jesus is indeed Lord and we want to live like it. And so Lord, as we do approach this table as we prepare to come, we pray that you would help us to get all that is in our hearts and all that is in our heads and all that's in our hands onto your altar. That you would have the totality of our being, that you would have the completeness of our lives. Lord, only you can do that work. And so that's why we come. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Apostle John declared, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So all who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, are in love and charity with your neighbors, and intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from henceforth in His holy ways, let us bow and humbly confess our sins to our Heavenly Father. Almighty and ever-merciful Father, we have gone wrong and have strayed from Your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the ways and wants of our own hearts. We have broken Your covenant we have failed to do what we ought to have done, and we have done things we ought not to have done. O oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Spare us as we confess our faults, and restore us as we repent from our sins, according to Your promises to us and Your Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. For His sake, enable us to live a godly, righteous, and honorable life to the glory of Your holy name. Almighty God, before whom all hearts are open, to whom all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may fully love you and may rightly honor your holy name. Through Christ our Lord.
1: We do not presume to come to this your table, O Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and wonderful mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but you are the faithful Lord, who always gives mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Father, to by faith find nourishment for our souls in the body and blood of your dear Son, so that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with those of angels, archangels, and all of the company of heaven, forever proclaiming the glory of your name.
0: Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. The Lord, who is faithful and just, promises to forgive those who confess their sins and purify his children from all unrighteousness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever.
1: On the night in which he was betrayed, Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
0: Father, sanctify these gifts by your Holy Spirit to be for us, your people, the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in Him. Sanctify us also so that we may faithfully receive this sacrament and may serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. And at the last day, bring us with all of your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. Amen.
1: Let us together proclaim the mystery of our faith.
0: Christ has died. Christ 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 is is risen. risen. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. It's broken for you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Having been fed at His table, let us go in His blessing. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.